Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. Making our way through before they are hanged. We're two-thirds of the way through. Mm. Uh, we have stopped at the chapter called Beneath the Ruins. I It's really inconvenient for us when authors don't number their chapters. Not gonna lie. Yeah, come um, on, Joe. <laughs> let's do... Okay, so we're not gonna do much of a warm-up today. We are going to announce this weekend going to get back on the live stream (laughs) round two uh actually more of a take two since the first one i ruined um that's gonna be this friday that's what the 19th yeah that's tomorrow tomorrow from when this episode is coming out when this episode comes out friday the 19th uh i think we're gonna do it at like 8 p.m central time yeah that's friday Check out those uh, those time zones, you know? They're tough to keep a track of. Oh, all right, Luke. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So we'll be we'll be going back to Twitch. We'll be streaming. Uh, Luke and I are finally going to hopefully get together on RuneScape. Hopefully mm-hmm. I won't die to so many bandits this time. And yeah, we'll I'll, see. I'll be there this time. I will say, um, so I got I got my second vaccine last week and i was down for a couple days you know what's great when you are exhausted and don't really want to think runescape runescape wow what a great game you could tell a game is good when you're like (laughs) you could tell a game is good when you're like i don't really want to pay attention to this oh that's (laughs) perfect runescape right so i will i'm just letting you know that i'm going to go in and dominate the battlefield i'm i'm glad somebody's got to Somebody's got to protect me from <laughs> okay. From all the yes, bad stuff. Get get in there. Uh, t- our Twitch is uh, DC at a BC. Yeah, that's right. So just keep an eye out. Get in there. Join us. But now let's go ahead and talk about uh, before they're hanged. Yeah, let's talk about before they're hanged. There, there is an arc in this section. That I want to start off with. Because Luke, your your hot take last episode about the prince doesn't look so good anymore. No, it's terrible. It looks really bad now. It looks really bad now. And I want to talk about that arc in this in this section, the prince arc, where we go from just an idiot. But, like, not necessarily the worst guy. Just, like, a dumb idiot was at the end of last section. Somebody who wants to be involved, has an ego, thinks that they're important. Sure. To this section, where they are just sending their troops to die because they're so dumb. They, like, get their ass handed to them. The prince does. And then has the, like, gall to complain to the people who save his life and are, like, (laughs) dragging him along. Clearly don't want him there. Right. And he's... And then, of course, of course, the end of of the arc of the prince, where Colonel West just pushes him off a cliff after he tries to rape that woman. Yeah. The the final nail in the coffin here. (laughs) which so the arc of the prince is terrible but i want to talk about the arc of colonel west here because i think this has a lot to say about colonel west than the prince because here's the deal colonel west up until this point up until he pushes the prince off of the cliff is a climber colonel west is a social climber that's Mm. like what he's been doing right and sure he's like not a noble person but that's all the more reason why he has to do these things that will get him in higher and higher positions right so uh in the blade itself right he is in a high position because of his like gallantry on the battlefield because he's effective here he gets put with the prince and he's like he knows how incompetent the prince is And he knows that this is going to lead to the death of a bunch of people. And I think if he really wanted to, 
he could have stopped this. Like there is a there is an option here where Colonel West is like, hey, we're not doing that. Like I am not sending out those orders. So right. deal with it. And he doesn't do it. Furthermore, after they lose, after everything goes to shit, Colonel West is like, I have to save the prince. In what world do you see everything that has just happened around you and think like, ooh, I need that guy. That guy <laughs> is the one that I need to save and potentially like, like give up my life defending. That one. The one mm-hmm. who caused all of this terrible stuff to happen. That one. I think the only reason you say that is if you're like, hey, if I do save the prince and make it back, I'm going to get the best job. Like, they're going to give me so many medals and awards and stuff like this. Like, this is going to look great on my resume. Right. And so as he's, like, trudging through the woods, he gives him his coat. He, like, gives him extra food. He's just, like, pampering him, trying to make the prince happy because he's like, one day when we get back, oh, you're going to remember this, right? Right? And then he just he just gets to a point where he's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it anymore. And that's when Colonel West ceases to be a climber. He is no longer <laughs> a climber anymore. Y- yes. Um, I want to come back a little bit to the point that you made about, like, I think that Colonel West should have found a way to not allow this, like, battle to happen. I mean, within reason, right? Yes. I, I, I'm not putting it on him, right? It's not his fault. No. Obviously. No. Um, but I do think that at a certain point you try a little bit harder. I agree. Like, if with you, you care, if you're like, this is going to lead to us getting like completely slaughtered. I don't think that you're just like, ah, man, <laughs> poor choice by the prince. I think that you like resign in protest or something like that. I think that is potentially an option. And, uh, you know, we've seen how effective that can be. Certainly. Right. Uh, very, very big it's it's really effective <laughs> maybe get a book deal um <laughs> but and i will say he does try and he recognizes like how little effect his words have on the prince but i do think he's not creative enough in his attempts to stop this i do agree with you that there are other avenues here like oh you know what prince um we actually have to rotate the horseshoes on all of our horses this week. You know, every you, you know this, Prince Ladisla, like every two days you have to rotate all of the horseshoes on your horses or else they wear unevenly. Yeah, so we scheduled that for tomorrow, so we can actually leave. You know, you know this, right? Like, this is common. <laughs> Any good general would know this. Right. I think that that's a good example. This is this is a point that I'm actually I want to hold off on, but I want to make a little bit later, mm-hmm. which is that people in this story do not seem to be willing to change their strategy. Um again, I want I want to bring it up later, but okay. I think this is the case where it's like if you're not convincing the prince like or you're like not getting to him for like this whole time maybe like find a different way you know what i mean right don't just be like hey i think we should do this uh dang it lord smun said the other thing well i guess that didn't work right right so yeah i don't think colonel west is necessarily responsible for all of these people dying like it's definitely on the prince the prince is definitely the responsible party here but i think colonel west certainly had opportunity that he didn't take advantage of because he knows the prince is an idiot and he knows the prince has a huge ego so you can you can do it you could get him to not march or be like (laughs) here's the other thing here's the other crazy thing about it colonel west is the one with the information like he gets to decide what the prince even hears about so if he's Mm -hmm. like oh you know what Actually, I just got a new report. He 
wasn't there the whole time. I, it was just like a, a mirage. Have you heard of those? It was like a, a snow mirage. Crazy. He's not there. He's not even there. Right. I think that this is a good, this is a very good point. I, and you don't necessarily have to go the route of just like backtracking and saying that he's not there. But yeah, you do control the information. Like you control everything except the final decision. Right. 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 And so in a way, you kind of can control the final decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think here Colonel West is still trying to be a climber. True. Yeah. No, I agree. So he's going to let the prince make the decision. And then <laughs> and then when the prince's decision goes horribly wrong, well, he can look like a hero. Well, it's interesting, actually, because over time, I've gotten the sense that Colonel West does not want responsibility anymore. And I don't know if that's been like his thing from the beginning and he just didn't realize it. But it seems like he would do well in a like he's very competent, mm-hmm. I think, in mm-hmm. general. And I think that he would be much happier as just like a competent person that like got orders and did them rather than the person that's like in charge and having to make difficult decisions. Not that he's like necessarily bad at making decisions. I think that he just like doesn't want to take that responsibility on himself. Well, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think he does like being the one who is like in charge. But uh, like we certainly see in this section how Colonel West has to do like everything and how he like doesn't want to do everything. Like he's the one finding a blacksmith and it's like that's such a bad use of his time. <laughs> I I can't tell if that's on him. Like, shouldn't you be delegating? Or if he just, like, can't find anyone that's good enough to delegate that to. That's what it feels like. It feels like he just can't find anyone to delegate these tasks to. Because he's, like, not necessarily high enough in the command structure. Like, mm. like if he tells someone to do something, they'll just go to the prince and be like, uh, Colonel West just told me to do this stupid-ass thing. And the prince would be like, what? No, have some beer, dude. <laughs> to shock on this brew dog yeah i guess he yeah the fact that he's in a position of power without having like the nobility name to him i guess makes things like that very difficult yes i think specifically in this circumstance where he's operating directly under the prince who is like constantly both incompetent but wants to make decisions is it's got to be the worst for sure let's okay since we're since we're going all in on on this whole like part of the story yeah i'm gonna actually bring up my my changing strategy thing yeah let's go for it this probably extends more than just this part but a lot of people in this book i feel like when they get in a new situation or like recognize that something that they're doing is not working as well as it should be i feel like they just like don't change anything about what they're doing my example for this one is very small which is they're like colonel west and the prince and the two prisoners at their rescue are going with the northmen and they're like marching north and the northmen are setting this like very fast pace that no one is able to keep up with and everyone, they're like, West and, I guess it's really West and the Prince that are mostly like dying. Yeah. But they're like slowing them down, going super slow. And every 10 minutes are like, God, we need a break. And the Northmen are like, again, we're, you need a break again. It's like, okay, can you guys just like p- slow the pace down a little bit so that you guys don't have to take breaks so often? Like a con- like you have to accommodate them. So don't like not accommodate them and then like get pissed when you have to. Like you don't have to keep doing that. You can change what you're doing. <laughs> Am I wrong on this? I think okay, okay, okay. Perhaps I don't know. I don't know the like differential equation that we would have to solve to figure out the optimal speed for them to travel. 
right? Because obviously there's an optimal speed where they're just like moving the quickest over a long period of time, like factoring in breaks and stuff. I don't know what that pace is. Maybe the pace that they're going is it. Because maybe if they slowed down, the prince would beg for a break in the same intervals. Like, because sure, Colonel West is having a hard time, but he's definitely stopping because the prince is like falling over on the ground. Right. And okay, okay. I think this this doesn't necessarily just extend to like the like physical pace that they're walking at. Yeah. It's like okay, let's take stock. You have it's it's your band that you guys work really well with, but you also have like this small group that is not in the right shape of you. You can a not change anything and just like get mad <laughs> whenever whenever they request accommodations or you can like sit down and be like okay let's think they need this and that's like figure out like let's give uh the prince some more shoes since you know if we give him better shoes we'll be able to go a little bit faster like you that's not necessarily what you have to do but like just just think about it for a second and like recognize that it's gonna have to be different you know, it's going to have to be different. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to like get super pissed every time. Yes, that's this is a great point. Like, it's not just like it's the five of you anymore. Like, it's not just your normal crew here. Like, you do have to make some changes because you have more people. However, why the fuck are we bringing everyone? <laughs> that's a good point. Why the fuck are not we just saying, hey, B thought is behind us and he's coming north. So walk about three miles west and then head south. Head south, go back to the town that we know is safe because B thought's coming with us and we'll go warn your buddy up north. Mm-hmm. And we'll do it mm-hmm. way quicker than if we had to carry the prince. Why are we carrying the prince? <laughs> Let's get him out of here. The other example, because I think you're right. People aren't necessarily making the accommodations that they should, given the new situation. And my example is fucking West. Colonel West should have, like, as soon as he rescued the prince, he should have been like, I, I'm in charge now. You don't get to say anything anymore. Right. And I get, like, he's a climber and he's still trying to maintain that, that potential new position in the future. But, like... I feel like here you have some clout to be like, hey, I told you this was going to go really poorly and it did. So maybe listen to me from now on and stop whining and just do what I say, please. (laughs) But instead he's like, oh, you want my coat? Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Here you go. (laughs) Oh, you think we should stop? You want me to tell you what they're saying? Okay, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Colonel West. The... The other thing that I'm a little bit pissed at Colonel West about with this new situation is like, I kind of, this might be a hot take, but I don't think that the point that Colonel West got mad enough to kill the prince was the right one. Like, obviously you can't necessarily weigh the badness of people's actions if they're different, but like, the prince basically got a bunch of people murdered. Mm. And I, so maybe the, here is the tipping point when the prince like tries to rape this woman. I like maybe that was it. That was like the straw that broke Colonel West's back. And he at that point had enough. But also the prince is like directly responsible for thousands of people's deaths. Yes. Like for the for like, I think the same reason, like. The prince was trying to rape this woman because he was trying to exert, like, power and his authority over her. And he just didn't even think that it would be a problem. He was like, oh, I'm the prince. What are you talking about? This is just what I do. And that's, like, the same thing that he did when he had all his all these people march to their deaths. Is he was just like, I'm the prince. I just do what I want. I think that that's fair. I mean, okay, so, the, yes. The 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 prince the prince had a rough section here. Um, I feel like it's much more 
in your face and obvious the final one like yeah the the battle thing you could be like okay like that was maybe incompetence rather than like 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 maliciousness like right and (sighs) also like i don't know i definitely see your point i think it makes sense that this is where wes does this i i think because of because of like the prince's actions but also because of the state of mind that that west is in at the time i agree with you i agree with you definitely and definitely the i'm like all for him pushing the prince off the cliff at this moment like i was in i was in on it definitely um because what the prince is doing here is obviously terrible i just think that the like abstraction that we make for the prince's move earlier is like not necessary like i think we can just pin all their deaths on the prince we don't need to be like it was a Mm. poor strategic move because like the prince's general is telling him don't do this it's a very bad strategic move and the prince is like i'm gonna do it anyway Mm -hmm. and so like it's it's like we we don't need to abstract their deaths as like a bad military engagement like he was told that this is what would happen and then it happened he just got a bunch of people killed. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, so I just feel like Colonel West should have left him. Colonel West should have been like, "I'm not going to save. Like, I don't have to push you off a cliff, but I don't have to save you after you caused that thing to happen." Yeah, I think I, it was. Yeah, he definitely shouldn't have saved him. I think that that's probably well. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. And I, think I that's mean, our position here. Like I said, he's a climber. We already established <laughs> that. Maybe he's saving him for selfish reasons reasons because he's got to climb. He's got to make it up that mountain. But yeah, at this point, the straw that broke Colonel West's back was this just like stupid. God, the prince fucking sucks. That was my one. That was my last note about the prince is that he's just I'm so glad he's dead. Okay, let's. So we've got like I, I would say three areas of this book. I I'm done with this area. Yeah, let's move on. Okay. I don't have a ton on Glockta's situation, um, but but let's move there. I my, my one note is just like I don't love this. <laughs> I don't love reading about what Glockta's up to. Not because I dislike Glockta or anything, but just because like it's all bad. Yeah, Glockta's situation is not very good, and I mean it feels a lot like a slow motion car crash like Glockta showed up and the situation was already very dire and then he tried to make it a little bit better and it's like still very bad and there was like very little hope of ever of it like being good right there was like almost no hope that they would succeed right it was it was like if you do your job well just like the same outcome but more people will die I think. And that that's basically uh what's her name? Magister Eider or whatever. Yeah. That's basically her point. Exactly. Exactly. And while Which is very I, I would say also that's very true of Glockta's whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Or like his his job, right? Like if you're good at being an inquisitor, then you don't really necessarily, it doesn't seem like you necessarily contribute much to the actual, like, well-being of the society. You just, like, mess people's lives <laughs> up more. <laughs> right. It's interesting to see both Colonel West and Glockta being confronted with the, like, uselessness of the system. Right? Like, Colonel West sees how terrible the prince is and how terrible that stuff is for command and glockta sees how terrible like his command structure is for accomplishing like what we would consider the good outcome like the reason why he lets the queen of the merchants go is because he's like yeah you're right like that would have been way better but my job is to find out who killed the last guy and to to hold out in the city as long as possible regardless of what that means and yeah, it seems like Colonel West is clearly like, I'm done. 
and it's inter- it'll be interesting to see if Glockta has that moment where he's like, I'm done. Like, I, you're right. I don't want to do this. This is pointless and not helpful. Because he clearly cares about it. I mean... I... The things that we get from his thoughts, like, maybe suggest that he cares about it. I'm, But, like... I'm not willing to give him credit for that. <laughs> what well, he lets her go, right? He was supposed oh, okay. to yes, kill her. That part. That's sure. the that's yeah, the yeah. thing I'm thinking of is like he was supposed to kill her and he tells everyone that he killed her, but he actually let her go. So that to me is like an indication that he does I care mean, about it and his actions show that he does care a little bit about it. He also told the guy who's in charge of the like native population to surrender as soon as he can, right? Mhm. And so, like, he's clearly trying to do the right thing here, but he's still, like, operating within the Inquisitor kind of framework. Whereas Colonel West has literally shoved the prince off of a cliff. So, like, Colonel West has taken all the brakes off at this point. Right. I, I, I do think that if you're Glockta and, like, you're working in a in an environment that is like so evil and you're contributing substantially to that. I don't know if like small things like letting her go or much yeah. <laughs> in the like grand scheme of things. Um, but I, okay, I like without being too like serious about it, I, I take your point. That, okay. Like, yes, he is, he is better than a lot of the other people in the inquisition i guess right something where i i don't i don't know if we're giving too much credit to in the inquisition is torture like glockta takes the ambassador of the gurkish down into his torture cells cuts his ear off and he's like all right now tell me who the ones who are traitors are and the guy gives up two names and glockta's like nice i got it what what if Okay, let's imagine I'm the Gurkish ambassador. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, he's taken me down into one of these torture chambers. I'm definitely going to die here. Um, what can I do? What's the best thing I can do in this situation? Uh, say the names of people who definitely aren't involved in any of our stuff. <laughs> and then die with those two names on my, on my tongue. Right. Because here's the thing. Glockta does end up proving that this is correct, just but only because those people like just acknowledged it. Right. They were but like, then, oh, that you happens got us. After he already killed the guy, right? So he didn't like have any independent verification of that confession. Or not confession, but like accusation. Right. Exactly. Now He it, just got lucky. <laughs> it seems like he just got lucky. It could be that he already knew that's a possibility because i don't know if he would have had time to pay off the merchant or the mercenary before this because he paid off the the mercenary captain uh in order for the plan to not to essentially not go through Mm -hmm. and i feel like he might have done that earlier after he got that big cash infusion um so I think he might have already known one of these conspirators. And so that could have been potentially the confirmation was like the two names was like, okay, that one already knew, but the other one is a surprise to me, which was like the governor's son, like Verm, Vermin or something, <laughs> whatever his name was. Right. Um, th- I think that's a possibility, but like, I, why are we trusting torture this much, Glockta? Well, like, I remember in the last book, they didn't even really care if it was true. <laughs> they didn't at all. They just wanted people to sign the confession. Yeah. Right. And th- if it also feels like there is this weird, like, instinct that Glockta claims to have where he can just tell if someone's telling the truth or not. And I don't know, like... I feel like that's not real. 
I feel like it's pre- presenting an idea about torture that is mm-hmm. just not backed up by evidence. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the in- the Inquisition is bad. <laughs> Maybe don't torture people because it's not a super effective way of getting information. <laughs> among among other reasons, not to. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's where we are. <laughs> the other the other part about torture that I'll just mention briefly, uh, the Queen of the Merchants is like, hey. I know you took me down to your torture cell, but you wouldn't torture me, Glockta. <laughs> <laughs> she said that, and I was just like, oh, lady. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on now. This is Glockta we're talking about. <laughs> you know what's, what's really, like, weird to me in these scenes? Mm. And I don't know why it's weird to me, mm-hmm. but uh, his two practicals come in when galacta asks a question and do like an aggressive yell it just bothers me for some reason i don't know why it bothers me because this is something you mentioned in our last series about this how in sync they are with galacta like they seem to know exactly what galacta wants to do without any indication from galacta and it's crazy how well they work together like i if i'm glockta and i hadn't prearranged that i'd be pissed i'd be like no guys stop yelling stop (laughs) yelling right like the yelling thing doesn't work the same strategy doesn't work on everyone the same right i assume probably not probably (laughs) i wonder if they go in before each time and discuss strategy i think it doesn't seem like it i think they just have built up a rapport where they can kind of get the vibe they can get the Glockta's vibe and just know where to improv, right? Mm-hmm. They're like a jazz group. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably true. And uh, yeah, I think they just know, especially when they hit people. Like Glockta will say like one phrase, and then they'll just start beating someone. And the phrase is never like, "All right." hit them boys the phrase is like (laughs) i guess we'll see and then they get smacked upside the head (laughs) maybe there's maybe there's some stage directions that we're missing right (laughs) like glockta uh taps his fingers three times yeah and frost punches them in the stomach really hard (laughs) i think that could be fair that could be fair um also the last thing I have to say about this about this section, and then we got to talk about our our group going across the plains. Mm-hmm. As a practical, how like on the on the list of of things that are bad about your job, how high up there are the tan lines? I knew that you were gonna that you were gonna do something about the masks. It does. <clears throat> It does mark you like you're coming home from a long day at work and you're like, let's go, let's go, uh, I don't know. Let's go bowling tonight. Go, Honey, go let's bowling. go bowling. And everyone, <laughs> and everyone sees your tan lines that are like, oh, yeah, that dude tortures people for a living. Let's stay really far away from him. Or you're like, Not a perk. <laughs> you're like on the public transit coming home from work. You're like on the train. And you're just sitting with your newspaper up and somebody, somebody sits next to you and maybe they want to chat. They're like, Hey, how are you? And you put the paper down they see the tan lines and they're like, Oh, bye. And you're like, Oh man, that would, that, that person seemed nice. I do think that if you're in the inquisition, you a probably don't worry about those things and B maybe just always wear your mask. But then like, what's the point? I, I okay i get it's intimidating but if part of it is like well i guess it isn't to conceal your identity at all i was thinking maybe it's like to conceal your identity so that you can have like a normal deal but it's definitely not i think it's just intimidation i think yeah yeah uh, i just uh, that's up there for me i think that's top three 
negative aspects of that job for me. That's that seems high, but but I'll I'll respect it. I think it goes okay. poor hours, no <laughs> health insurance, tan lines are the top three. That's, that seems reasonable. Um, okay, let's go. Let's go to our our uh, dream team. Mm-hmm. So, an interesting thing happens in their like fight scenes for me, and that's that. Logan doesn't seem actually like skilled at fighting. Yeah. Like he's very good at fighting, but he's not skilled at it, I don't think. I love this about how Logan fights and how how the fights with Logan are written because mm-hmm. he's never dominating anyone. He's right. he like always feels like he's barely making it out of all of these fights. <laughs> and it's very good. Like it, it matches his character so freaking well because he's like covered in scars and he like has a hard time a lot of the time and he's just like barely making it out of all of these fights. Right. And I think it's interesting the contrast with Jezel because Jezel goes into this fight and is like terrified, right? At least I was expecting him to just like get like dominated by some like more experienced person right but he makes it seem really easy (laughs) oh and i feel like a lot of the times you get the you get the like picture of the the person that's like only been in you know like sport duels like actually sucks at fighting in real life and it's very interesting to get the reverse of that i i will say Jezel's the only one who ends up getting his shit rocked. Like, just absolutely fucked up. Right. In that fight. So, I, because I think there's a difference here that, that we're seeing. The difference between Jezel and Pharaoh and Logan, and I'm putting Pharaoh and Logan together, is like Pharaoh and Logan are like survivors. Like, they've been in a lot of fights. And they don't necessarily win all of them super cleanly, but they will make it out okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jezel, like, might be able to just dominate a couple people in a fight. But in, like, a true battle, in, like, a scrap, in, like, a skirmish, he's gonna get his, like, day ruined. He's gonna I get think, demolished. Yeah. I think that this shows that this might be too deep of an analysis of, like, battle scenes <laughs> but it shows that like experience in the things other than like the physical part of fighting in terms of like moving around and like picking where you fight is very important right because you see pharaoh and logan like running around setting themselves up to be like one-on-one with people whereas Jezel is just like like standing in his spot that he's supposed to be guarding and he like crushes it when the two guys come up but like he gets he gets crunched because he didn't do the whole the whole like set himself up for success thing yes exactly no i think this is a hundred percent spot on is that you're like fancy fighting your great swordsmanship only gets you so far right and then as soon as you take one mace to the head, it all comes crashing down. <laughs> Whereas Pharaoh and Logan have learned over a long like over a long career how to not get wrecked in a fight mm-hmm. like this where there's a lot of people around. And we see it too in like I think the the fights with Dogman and the the Northmen crew is kind of similar to this where they like do come up with a plan and like kind of design it in such a way where they will make it out like it's not necessarily the cleanest thing ever but they Mm -hmm. design it to be like successful and it's just like brutally successful it's not necessarily like beautiful like jezel's kill of these two people right but Jezel undergoes like a change after he gets domed, right? Mm-hmm. 
This might be a hot take. I think Jezel is less likable after he gets his brains knocked in. <laughs> okay. Like, Jezel decides he's going to start thanking people and really appreciating life after he gets his head knocked around. I think he's, uh, like, insufferable now. <laughs> so, okay, to clarify... Did you like him before this? No, no, definitely not. Okay. I think he's so just less likable. <laughs> yeah, I think he's less likable now. And okay, another clarification: less likable as a reader, or like less likable if you were in the story interacting with him. Ooh, I think less likable if I'm there. Like if I'm Pharaoh, <laughs> I hate him more. <laughs> okay. Because here's what it is. Here's what it is. This fucking kid gets in one fight and he suddenly thinks he has this revelation to be nice to people all of a sudden. Guess what, kid? I've been in hundreds of fights. Okay? Hundreds. Do you know, I've died. I've almost died more times than I can count. (laughs) And you know what? I never had a revelation that I had to suddenly be nice to people. I think that... I, I take your point, but I don't think that this was just a sudden revelation by by Jezel. I think that it was set up by Logan and to some extent Baez. And I think that there's a little bit of a like comparison here between Jezel and the prince. Mm. In that they're both kind of in the same way like full of themselves at the beginning of this and it's like oh maybe after they gain some experience they'll be like a little bit better right and there's there's a difference here in how people like interact with them before they take their like their turn to whichever direction they're going to go right so Jezel has like logan and baez like really working to set up like him becoming like cool and everything right whereas the prince doesn't really have that and like not to take responsibility off of the prince i'm <laughs> i'm not trying to do that but right. you can see how like i think that if if Jezel had not had the like support system that he did and it just had people like like i don't know not helping him to like mentally as well as physically i don't think that he does this Mm. Mm -hmm. you're saying like yeah logan and baez were were a key component of this change that happens Mm -hmm. i think that that is of great analysis of these two characters (laughs) uh i think that's that's fantastic luke i agree with you but I just don't really like the new Jezel. Okay. Do you, I, do you think that it's like superficial and fake? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Like okay. suddenly Jezel is like, oh, thank you so much. I, you know, I really appreciate you doing this for me. And it's like, dude, like a week ago, you would have spit on me. So maybe like slowly we can get here. But if you suddenly well, are like... like I feel like he's like, he's trying things out, right? He wants to be better. And he's like trying things out. Yeah, right? but it just feels be like, hey, man, you don't have to like weirdly thank me every time. You just have to like treat me like a human being. Hey, man, I get it. You're appreciative, but like we're all chilling. Okay. <laughs> like I just passed you the bottle opener. You don't need to be like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yes. I th- <laughs> that's fair. I, uh, he's like, wow, this porridge is just excellent. <laughs> It's like, man, I know it's not excellent. Like, I appreciate that you're, like, appreciative of, of me cooking, but you don't have to butter me up like this. Right. That's what I That's what I think I, I don't like about it. It feels like Jezel is, like, kissing ass to everyone now. And I think okay. that's that's worse than what he was doing before. I think that he's, like, a kid learning how to socialize. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, like, that, we'll get there, maybe. I think this is true. I don't think it changes the fact that I don't like him very much right now. <laughs> I get he's trying. Try harder, please. <laughs> okay. That's fair. 
It's very fair. I just want to say a lot of danger in this trip that we're on, right? It's not looking good. It's very stressful. Having to go into a lot of fights. Let's set all that aside for a moment. Mm-hmm. Ignore, ignore the danger. Really cool trip we're on here. Yeah, this is right, an, guys? this is an odyssey that we're on right now. I know it's phenomenal. This is a <laughs> this is a road trip. Yeah, it might be raining every day, but we're going to do something pretty incredible. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing things that no one has seen in a while. Uh, getting a little history lesson from somebody who was there. Right. Right. Mind you, he was there. I will say, Luke, uh, when, as soon as they get within 100 miles of the city and they meet the other member of Juven's little social club, um, <laughs> pretty ominous warning to all just shrug off, right? How he's like, hey, um, you're not going to do that thing that would be terrible, are you? <laughs> And Bias is like, oh, no, I'm definitely going to do that thing, but it's not going to be as terrible as you think. I just have no other choice. Right. And- totally, totally going to do it, but it's going to it's going to work for me. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you guys should not go with him to do this thing. And Pharaoh's just like, meh, I'm already here. <laughs> uh- I don't think that this is aimed at Pharaoh, to be to be fair, because like she doesn't really care. Like the only thing she cares about is getting revenge and and that doesn't really seem like what he's warning against i feel like this is a big warning for logan (laughs) yeah yeah probably and jezel i imagine if he was like awake (laughs) would be kind of want to hear this yeah and they just kind of shrug it off granted they do get the story eventually where he's like yeah we're essentially gonna go into Chernobyl and bring out the heart of the reactor. Do you get the feeling that that Baez kind of cheated a little with this story? And that so so Quay the Apprentice is like, okay, tell me the mistakes that you've made. And Baez goes on this like big story about like kind of what he did wrong. It's it, I feel like it's like Hey, what's your biggest weakness? Yeah, this is exactly like, what I was going to say. I work too hard. In fact, that's what this was. That's 100%. Like, I didn't really want to hear the like broad, like general mistake that you made. I want to hear like the details of like where you fucked up in your life. <laughs> right. Because also it's like he tells the story in such a way that it none of it is really his fault. Like mm-hmm. he's like. Yeah, you know, I got exiled, and then because I was exiled, I really wanted to learn more. So I went to the maker and started learning more, and then I fell in love with the maker's daughter, and the maker got pissed at me, and then I kind of, I accidentally started a war. (laughs) Right, like, I want to zoom in on each of those little smaller things and hear about what specifically you did that I know that you did wrong, (laughs) that you're just glossing over here right he's also like setting up these philosophical kind of things like i should have just accepted my exile and listened to my teacher and it's like nobody would fault someone for trying to like go learn more after being exiled like none of the things you're claiming are the things you did wrong or things that people would be like oh yeah you did fuck up there like i want to hear like oh yeah i lied to the woman that i loved uh because I wanted to go play Xbox instead of go to her birthday. It's like so so don't do that. It's like yeah, that's definitely yeah, you fucked up there, bud. But instead he's like I was seeking knowledge when I shouldn't have and it's like all right, <laughs> fine. <laughs> One part of this story too that I want to just really zoom in on though. He mentions that Juvens plants 20 miles of oak trees along this path and then Glustrod cuts them all down when he came in and conquered the city. Juvens, you are like the only person that does magic and you're spending hours of your life planting trees? 
20 miles of oak trees you planted. My guy, please learn to delegate. You've got 12 disciples. Seriously. Seriously. And you're going around planting 20 miles of oak trees? We've got cancer to deal with. (laughs) It does seem like a waste of his time. I hope that it counted as his spare time. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, he better not have put this as his working hours. Yeah, that's like, come disciples, today I'm going to teach you a lesson. And then he just walks 20 miles dropping an acorn every like few feet. And he's like, this is a this is a lesson about time and the future (laughs) and planning for the future. Listen closely. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just going to be quiet and drop these acorns every few feet and you're going to just follow me. That's not a lesson, okay? It's it's not it's not a lesson. I it's also interesting to me that the like powers that Juvens are supposed to have, it's like broadly magic. I don't really know more specifically than that, but broadly he's good at magic, but all of his accomplishments that I've seen so far have been completely unrelated to magic. Is that fair to say? Like, he's, like, built this great empire based on his ideas and, like, rhetoric. <laughs> right. And I'm sure that there's some components of how his magic helped him with that, but it's not obvious. Whereas the maker, it's like, yeah, builds a lot of bridges. Build a bridge, build a cool house, build a box. Yeah, maker build stuff. Cool. Yeah, totally, totally get his thing. That's true i don't know i don't know because it feels like this could have been glustrod's thing Mm. right Mm -hmm. like okay juvens you get magic this other guy gets to make stuff the other person who like we haven't heard very much about (laughs) talks to spirits who knows who that what that guy's doing uh glustrod you get the power of persuasion so Mm -hmm. you can go like you can go build empires and stuff like that and like yeah have fun It'll be cool for you. And then Juvens is like, uh, actually, I would like that as well. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that the magic really explicitly gives him that power. Um, and I don't really. Maybe he just is like tr- tricking people. Like he's using his magic to to fool people into following him. I feel like he's casting a spell of like persuasion mm-hmm. over everyone and i i think that this might be affecting bias mm-hmm. because bias goes around all the time and it's like it was so perfect back in the day everyone was great things were awesome good <laughs> good people were everywhere now like everyone sucks and i feel like that this is just this is uh juven's casting a spell of like harmony over everyone my note for this is that Baez is such a boomer like yeah okay exactly Baez is going around me like back in the day man the debate that we had here he's they're in the like senate chamber that has the roof caved in and he's like you should have heard it the debates that they used to have here were incredible they were planning the future of nations things were brilliant things were so great back in the day now it's all shit You've got your TikToks now and your <laughs> broken down cities and stuff. Uh, it's also like boomers. Uh, he's conveniently ignoring the terrible parts of the societies, which in that section, we hear that they're like buying and selling people in this right. city. So like, Baez, how about we talk about the slavery that used to happen back in the day around all these yeah. great conversations that you claim happen? <laughs> Yeah, I have to assume that like in our world, when people are nostalgic about the past, there's like a large, like things are evened out in some way, right? There's like a huge negative that I assume in the past that Baez is discussing that might be a little bit better in current day. Right, like 50% of the statues that they walked past were people who fought to keep slavery around. And he's just right. he's just glossing over that detail. And he's like, look at all these great generals. Wow. It's like, Baez, you can't stop stop whitewashing the past, please. Mm-hmm. Classic Baez. Classic Baez. 
Jesus. It's especially crazy because he was there and he still is like, oh yeah, it was great. Luke, I have an incredibly important, somewhat technical question. Mm -hmm. What are the Shanka eating? What are they eating? This is what I was curious about too. So it can't be animal. It can't be meat. No meat. There's no meat there. There's. It can't be any. Actually, no. It can't be anything alive. There is nothing living in the city except Shanka. Do Shanka eat like rocks? (laughs) They have to. They have to eat rocks. They're not getting like an airlift of Jack Link's beef jerky dropped once a month. And there's no way they can't cannibalize each other. You run out unless they can photosynthesize. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they've got some chlorophyll. If they can do that, they could destroy. They could rule the world, Luke. (sighs) So uh, my only two explanations here are that they're. Like you said, they're eating rocks or they're like demons and they're, they don't need to eat. They're powered by magical demon energy. And that's why they live here is because this has some magical demon energy in the middle of it that the seed right. thing is a part of. Which which could be true, right? Like maybe they are mm-hmm. supernatural in some way such that they don't have to eat. Um, we do get like the one thing that I was going to say is like maybe the nothing lives here thing is overblown but we get evidence that it's true right right (laughs) so i'm gonna say either they don't have to eat or they're eating rocks and stuff maybe this is why maybe this is why everything is in ruins oh because they've been they've been gnawing at the foundation for so long on at the foundation so little termites messing around (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Alternatively, there's like all these underground rivers. Maybe they've got a little windmill attachment or maybe not a windmill, a little water wheel attachment that they just plug in and they're maybe they're water powered. What are they eating though? Yeah, you don't need to eat. Oh, you mean they themselves are. <laughs> yeah. Like they're getting plugged in. Yeah, they're just plugging into the to the river down there or i said windmill by accident at first but hey maybe they've got a little propeller somewhere on their bodies that they just hold out in the breeze could be maybe they're yeah it sounds like they've got a they've got to access some renewable fuel source because <laughs> there's no living things out there for them to use it's a very that's a very very good point um i do want to learn more about the shanka yeah, they sound fascinating, especially because they're somewhat intelligent, right? They have... Sp- I, yeah. Really, really quick, actually. Why do they attack? Um, <laughs> like, I get, like, conceptually and, like, story-wise, but it would be insane if you were, like, oh, some strangers are walking by our house. Let's try to murder them as much as possible with like no regard for anything else um yes but Baez is like he was part of the people that tried to exterminate them like humans it sounds like have tried to eliminate the shanka mm. and so that they just like see a person and they're like we need to kill them because one because we're afraid of them probably and two if we don't kill them they'll they might bring more people back and wipe us all out so it might be a self-preservation kind of kind of thing because yeah i think they've been persecuted by humans in the past okay from what Baez has said that's fair because yeah it it can't be that they're just like unthinking animals it can't be that they're just like acting out of fight or flight response because they have swords and spears like and clothes they're not (laughs) these are not just actual gorillas like they have some kind of culture and like higher level thinking Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, there's got to be some there's got to be some like reason why they're attacking them outright, and I think it's just because they've been attacked and like driven to extinction by people. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll accept that. No, all right. So Luke, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into a little RuneScape. Oh yeah, we all are on Friday. Getting back into it. Uh, hopefully, we'll do some exploring. I'm excited about mm-hmm. that. Um. I'm loving in this book, once again, how we get a cool dog pile at the end. How we get this great dog pile where in order for everybody to keep warm, they all just huddle up close. (laughs) And you know, Luke, we might not have a dog pile these days, but we do have plenty of hot takes. And we can still be dumb nerds. (laughs) 